regards, and welcome to Ryan Rambles You to Rest. I am he, and I am here now to gently talk you off to a restful transition from your waking day. Sometimes we all need a gentle walk to sleep after a long period of wakefulness, and this podcast is here at your service. On this episode, I have for you some rambles, respectively, on topics of runty relevance, such as a really random topic, which will actually be determined at random, how to operate your Bodum brand electric coffee grinder, and the scroll of recent photos of benches on my Instagram feed. Before we begin... I would like to recommend that you subscribe to this show on your podcast platform of choice or YouTube. For news and announcements, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ryan Rambles Pod, or follow me at Anvil1 on Twitter. Our soundtrack is by Disparition. Now then, let's get into a really random topic. This topic is unscripted and unknown to myself before recording. I do not know what I am about to talk about. It is therefore also possible that I will know very little on the subject. For this episode, I am using CapitalizeMyTitle.com's Random Topic Generator and Conversation Starter. Now, let's click the button and see what we get. Our topic today is, what are the three best apps on your phone? Hmm, what are the three best apps on my phone? Well... It's probably easy to cop out on this one and pick something that is just used a lot, like maybe some social media. I spend a certain amount of time on Instagram, and will be spending more time on Instagram later. Best apps. It's sort of a question of what makes something best. Is it most useful, most enjoyable, most expensive, biggest? There are all sorts of criteria, so best is actually kind of tough. I mean, I probably use certain apps quite a lot, but I wouldn't call them the best. I spend a good amount of time on Facebook, but that's to see what my friends are doing. And I don't think, ultimately, Facebook is a very good app. It's sometimes difficult to use. It has a lot of different bells and whistles that end up being more of a distraction than useful. And I do find that frustrating. Plus, it's been a tool of very bad politics and bad actors over the last few years. And, of course, there's big, big privacy questions with Facebook. 
Furthermore, the most interesting thing about Facebook is probably its ability to target ads and use the medium as an ad or information service for disseminating information. In that way, it's probably better than most of the other apps. You could make a case that Facebook is the best app at serving targeted ads or information and collecting data on people whether they like it or not. It's very good at that. But I don't think it's really, I would say, a best app on my phone. Although I might be hard-pressed to think of an app on my phone I spend more consecutive amounts of time using. You see, I do like to take it out and scroll through it as almost a daily evening ritual to just see what everybody's been up to or what's been happening. And if I didn't have it, I would definitely be thinking about how else I would stay connected to the goings-on of people I know. And that is mostly what I use it for. I don't use Facebook to follow celebrities or brands. That said, I don't think it's a very good space for interests. Because all of those other features are so clunky, I think it isn't very good for finding um, other people with like interests or information about things you are interested in. I think it's mostly convoluted for that, but maybe that's just because I don't use it enough for that. Hmm. I do like Instagram. I know it's owned by the same company, but Instagram seems to me like and maybe this is me being the old person who uses Instagram. I like it for mainly being photos. I have a background in photography, so I enjoy that part of it, that it can just be a place to look at pictures. Sometimes pictures from friends, sometimes pictures from businesses. I do follow some brands on Instagram, and what I like about Instagram is that I can have different accounts for different interests. So later on, when we're looking at benches, the benches we're looking at won't be from my regular personal Instagram feed, but from my Instagram account that's focused on benches. I think I would say that Instagram is one of the three best apps on my phone. Now that does leave me with two more to figure out here. I guess because of my professional background that it's difficult for me to leave out YouTube. I've spent quite a number of years working on the YouTube platform professionally, and I find it very interesting. I think it's an exciting place to find content.
And I think the workings that go on behind the scenes, the machine learning projects, are very interesting in their efficiency with connecting people to the things they want to watch. Now, there are just as many fair criticisms toward YouTube as there are toward Facebook about the problems with types of content getting into the wrong audiences or being made available when they probably shouldn't be. But if I'm evaluating what are the three best apps on my phone and how I use them, I don't personally find that YouTube is radicalizing me towards white supremacy, for example. And while from time to time it has tried to serve me videos that aren't very interesting to me, I would say that lately it's been pretty effective at delivering me just what I want to watch. And I am a creature of habit. I definitely like to watch a lot of the same things. And I follow content producers that are very prolific so I almost have a daily or weekly ritual when it comes to my viewing habits on YouTube. For example, I'm a fan of the filmmaker David Lynch. And David Lynch publishes two videos every single day in the morning. His first video is his weather report for the day in which he tells you what the weather is going to be like in Los Angeles. It's only about a minute long, but he usually communicates some sort of message of positivity that feels good at the beginning of the day. And, like any sort of correctly used or executed YouTube strategy, there is a large returning audience and there is sort of a lingo and uh, in-jokes that still come through even with a, only a minute of time. For example, one of the things he likes to say just about every day is blue skies and golden sunshine. Even if it's cloudy out, he'll remind you that behind the clouds there are blue skies and golden sunshine. He's also used it to recommend music. Every once in a while, he'll be thinking about a piece of music, usually something from the 60s or 70s, but sometimes current music too. Now, I haven't been on Spotify for very long, but I've been keeping a playlist of the music that David Lynch recommends on his weather reports. That's part of my morning ritual as well, as I listen to the weather report, and if there's a song recommendation, then I'll put it in the playlist on Spotify. Maybe Spotify is another one of those best apps, but I'm not sure yet. We'll come back to Spotify. So the second video that David Lynch puts up each day is the number of the day. And it's the same video every day, 
where he takes a ping pong ball with a number on it out of a jar. And that's the number of the day. That's it. Sometimes he's wearing a cowboy hat. It's interesting because it's created an audience of people that come back every day just for a number. And there are people who keep track of the numbers and try to divine meaning, as of course you would expect from people paying attention to David Lynch, whose films are already enigmas unto themselves. People imagine that just about everything that David Lynch does has to have some kind of weird twist behind it. I don't think that's really the case with this. But it's fun to look at the community and kind of feel like you're a part of it every day going to find out what the number of the day is. So David Lynch's channel is an everyday thing and then there are some other channels that I do return to whenever they have new videos that I've rung the bell for. And I've only rung the bell for a handful of channels where I don't mind being reminded that they're around. Honestly, I think it's a pretty good system there. The amount of music available on YouTube is also pretty good. Now, I am not happy about the Google Play Music app being phased out last year in favor of YouTube Music. I don't think YouTube Music is very good. And if I still had it, I'm about a hundred percent positive that I would say that the Google Play Music app was in my top three phone apps. That one was really good. I had all of my music in the cloud, I had it at my fingertips, it was easy to get to, and I could pick certain albums or playlists to download when I knew I was going on a trip, on an airplane or on a road trip. And that was really helpful. Although to be fair, similar to Facebook, it had a lot of clunky features that weren't very useful, and a lot of attempts at selling music to you. And they tried to bring in that subscription model, and I don't like the subscription model. I don't like this new phase of subscription model. I prefer to pick the artists who I like to buy the albums of and just listen to their music. And I'll get kind of my money's worth out of listening to them. And I know that the amount of money that I put in is being attributed to the artist, whether or not the company that's hosting the music is taking a share. My problem with subscriptions is that I wonder if it's a better deal for artists, and maybe it is, and maybe somebody can tell me about that at another time. Maybe I can research it and report back on this program. YouTube is also pretty good for finding movie clips and movie trailers, and sometimes clips from television shows. It comes up a lot in our social media and culture to reference old things. So YouTube can be very useful for finding those things 
Most of the time, somewhere, somebody has uploaded something that you want to watch. Okay, I could probably keep talking about it, and I probably will come back to the topic of YouTube because it's so prolific in my career. But for now, suffice it to say that YouTube is the second of the best apps on my phone. Well, that leaves one more app. I'm looking through my phone now. I suppose there are a couple of contenders that I need to consider here as we get down. I'm not going to choose Spotify, and I may as well at this point explain why. I've only been using it for a short period of time, and I do appreciate that just about anything I can think of to listen to that's a regular release or a new release is available on Spotify. And there are definitely a lot of things I've listened to since I started using it that I wouldn't have had before on Google Play Music or on YouTube. But what I don't like about it is that it is so tightly controlled by the record companies and even the artists that most of the time there is only going to be the versions that they want you to have available to you on the site. And if you're somebody who collects vinyl or in the past compact discs, then you know that there are always bootlegs and special editions and rare releases of albums that can be very hard to find, and having those available to you is a big deal if you're a fan. And none of those things exist on Spotify. I might have had those things on Google Play Music because they were music that I purchased and later uploaded to my account. But now I'm at the mercy of, you know, just whatever's out there. Sometimes artists don't like their old albums and they remove them. Or they release a reissue or a remaster. And sometimes they completely remix their music and you can't get the original album version. So I don't like it for those reasons. Okay. Still. Gotta get on to whatever number three is gonna be. I have to say that I find Lyft and Flywheel and Uber to be very useful, but I don't like the companies. And I'm very not happy with what happened in California with Proposition 22 during the 2020 election. I suppose if I was okay with the terrible sort of anti-employee and anti-union things that some of these companies are a part of, then I would have to appreciate their apps or appreciate them more. And sure enough, I do like to use Yelp if for no other reason than to find a a new restaurant to try. 
It's been invaluable for traveling if I'm going to a new city. Even though I usually like to research things before I go somewhere, it is helpful on a moment's notice. You know, maybe you've come off of a tour or out of a show and you're in a part of town that you're not familiar with or you're all together in a place you're not familiar with and something went wrong with your plans or something changed. It's very useful to be able to find something close by that you might like. I think a lot of the practices from the delivery apps are pretty shameful too. So as much as I do use Grubhub from time to time, I don't really want to put it up there among my best apps. If I didn't have it, I think I would learn to live without it. We didn't have it before, and while I certainly do like being able to get food from my favorite restaurants that are far away, I don't like the squeeze they've put on businesses and their general selfishness. Okay, here's a candidate, and maybe just to keep things from going for too long, I'll just end with this one. I have the Songkick app, and I found that some time ago I was very bad at finding out when my favorite musicians were going to be in town, and I would often miss shows that I wish I had been able to go to. And if you're somebody who likes going to concerts or stand-up shows, then you know how unique it is to be able to go to a show. It's not the same as listening to a record or an album. So somebody told me about Songkick a few years ago, and it's a pretty good app. You can search any artists that you like and save them to your list, and then the app will notify you when they're going to be playing in your area. And even now, since the pandemic started, it tells you when artists are going to have an online show. I suppose it's not very useful right now. So it's a little bit difficult to call it the number three app. But I also don't want to pick something boring, like the telephone feature. It is an important feature. Most of us probably don't use it very often, but at the same time we would think twice about buying a device that doesn't have it. Maybe it's the Google Home app. I don't use it very often, but I do have connected devices in my home, and I like using them to turn the lights on and off. And sometimes when I go to bed, I've forgotten to turn off the lights in the other parts of the house. And it's very useful to be able to open this app and change the lights from the comfort of the bed. You can also do that in reverse. If you're going to be getting up and going through the house, 
You can turn on the lights before you go anywhere and don't have to worry about fumbling for light switches. Yeah, this is a tough one because there are apps that I don't use very often that I perhaps admire more, like Wikipedia. The Wikipedia app is actually pretty good because it works like a regular internet browser, but all of your searches remain inside the Wikipedia ecosystem. And you can have as many tabs open as you want. So if you want to go through who you've searched for or what you've been searching for, it's right there. In fact, it might be an activity one night for the podcast to just pick a tab at random from my searched items on the Wikipedia and see what we can learn from them. Maybe another good contender would be the Yahoo Fantasy Football app. I kind of like that one because even though it's a bit clunky, it's a game, and it's something that I can do with my friends. And when football is happening, we tend to have a good time talking shit to each other and posting GIFs. And then, of course, it's useful for setting your lineup and finding out what's been going on in sports. Another app that I like quite a lot is the Cardboard app. And I'm beginning to see the trend here in general, is that most of the time I don't like how they function. I don't think the Cardboard app is awfully useful, but my favorite thing about it is that you can use it to look at photosphere pictures that you've taken. And that's really just the main use for it to me. I'm a person of like medium virtual reality interest, but photospheres are cool because they are pictures that you take yourself and then later on you can use the cardboard app to, in a 3D view or sort of virtual view look at where you were standing at one point in time. So I've taken some pictures over the years when traveling abroad and have a handful of photospheres that I like to look at and sometimes it feels like just standing there right in the place where you were that time. And that can be very cool when you're around something beautiful in nature like a waterfall or a river or on a mountain or in a very pretty building that's very big. I think that would have to be up there. I'm kind of at a loss here for a third best app. One more candidate for me is Google Keep. I like Google Keep a lot, and I'm sure that means that I'm in a minority. 
and that they will probably be discontinuing the app any day now. That's usually what happens to the apps that I like. But Google Keep, I think, is very good. It has a lot of functionality that's very useful. For the most part, it's an app that lets you take notes and jot things down. And for me, it's more or less replaced carrying around a pad of paper and a pencil. What I like about it is that any given note that you create can be turned into a list if you need to make a to-do list or a shopping list, which is very helpful if you're, say, packing for a trip, or you have to go out and get some specific food that might not otherwise be on your regular shopping list. It also allows you to color code each of the notes that you keep so for fast scrolling you can sort of in your mind have a color scheme for things that are to do or entertainment or just thoughts or something funny and I can do different colors for each of those things and it makes it easier for me to find things later on you can also set reminders through the app so if you need to find something uh, or remember to do something at a certain time, you can have it set a reminder. And you can also have that reminder trigger based on a location where you're at. So if there's a restaurant that you want to try, you can have the note trigger when you're in that place. Or if there's something that you're supposed to buy at the store and not forget about, you can have a trigger when you're at the store. I think that's pretty useful, and it's an easy to open, easy to get in a, into, easy to get out of, overall pretty good app. I think I'll call it and say that that is my third favorite app, or the third best app on my phone. Perhaps last, I would give a bit of an honorable mention to the overall operating system of the Pixel phone. I've always liked the pure Android operating system, and while they make changes every time that you have to get used to in terms of what different swipes do and things, it's overall a very good system, and it's very easy for me to find not one but two daily digests of news tailored for me when I wake up in the morning or before I go to sleep at night. So I guess I would add the phone itself is among the best apps. Oh, there we go. I actually just got a notification from my Google Keep reminding me to call a friend of mine. It's very useful. Okay, so our really random topic for this episode was what are the three best apps on your phone? With a certain amount of consideration, I decided that the three best apps on my phone are Instagram, YouTube, and Google Keep, with a nod to the Google operating system. 
If you enjoyed this topic from CapitalizeMyTitle.com's Random Topic Generator and Conversation Starter, go to CapitalizeMyTitle.com forward slash random dash topic dash generator forward slash. So what are your three favorite smartphone apps? Do you like coffee? I drink coffee pretty much every day, and usually at least one day on the weekend. I make my own coffee at home using a French press, and for some time have been buying Pete's coffee from the cafe, which I have ground right there. However, this past Christmas we received a small electric coffee grinder as a gift from relatives as well as a bag of whole bean coffee from Ohio. Today was the first day I got to try out our new Bodun electric coffee grinder, and I thought this would be a good opportunity to share with you the unthrilling details of how to operate a Bodun electric coffee grinder. This is an instruction manual for the 1160-3 1160-4PL and 1160-4SS Bistro electric coffee grinder. It's a small grinder that's almost handheld but plugs into the wall. If you've got one it's made of mostly plastic and comes in three colors black, red, or white. The one we have is black. The instruction booklet has a glossy finish on the outside and uh, shows a side view of the grinder with a big brand name on it. And then it has the name of the booklet, which is the Electric Coffee Grinder Instructions for Use. And it has that in one, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven languages. So that's the front cover. On the back is information for contact and other warranty information. That it is a also a proof of purchase card which can be sent in, I believe, uh, with other information such as the website for Bodum, which is www.bodum.com. C-O-M. Other information includes that Bodum is a registered trademark of Pi Design AG Switzerland. According to this, the guarantee certificate says it is guaranteed for two years. And this is the Bistro Electric Coffee Grinder. Let's begin. Before we begin, this is a glossy covered instruction booklet with relatively thin paper on the inside, not super low quality. It is 87 pages long 
But don't worry, we don't need to go through all 87 pages because they are accommodations for all of the languages that we just discussed. Now let's begin the Bodum Bistro Electric Coffee Grinder Instructions for Use in English. The first page is on the inside of the glossy cover and there's a fold-out, sort of a, a two-page fold-out. We'll begin with the first one, which says, Welcome to Bodum. Congratulations, you are now the proud owner of the Bodum Bistro electric coffee grinder. And then below this welcome message, this welcome message is in all big, bold letters, below the welcome message is a almost top-down view of the grinder and you can see into it where the sort of uh, blender style blades are. Then beneath that is a caption and the caption is listed in all of the other languages before. The caption reads, please read these instructions carefully before using. Now I did read these instructions fairly carefully before using, and I will be able to give some notes along the way as we go. The next glossy page includes three different pictures of the coffee grinder from various angles, and there are numbers for each thing that is indicated, and we'll read through each of those. The first image is a side-on view with the cap on, the top on the, on the grinder, with some of the illustration indicating a, a, the plug going out. The second image, which has two numbered bullets, is the uh, same almost top-down view that we saw on the last page, the welcome page. And finally, there is a picture of the bottom, which shows how the electrical cord is stowed on the bottom. Let's read what each of these things is. Number one is pointing to a button that joins the cap to the body of the grinder. And in the list it says, one is the on-off button, parentheses, tongue. And that's maybe a good name for it because it looks like a tongue. The grinder itself in the illustration looks a little bit like a dog with its tongue hanging out, so it makes sense. Number two is the lid. And the lid is sort of like a thermos-type lid. In reality, it's plastic, and it holds one container's worth of coffee. We'll get those details later on. I don't want to spoil too much. Number three is pointing to the body of the grinder itself, and this is the housing. Now we move on to the top-down view for numbers four and five. 4 is indicating the metal container, which is the bottom portion of the grinder itself, close to the blades. And then 5 is the blade arm, which, are the, which is the blender portion. And then we go down to the third diagram. This one has items 6 and 7. 6 is the cord storage facility, which is sort of a wrapping feature recessed in the bottom of the grinder that allows you to wrap the cord up. 
and then number seven is pointing to a sort of a black line that is peeling off of the bottom that looks like it's tape, but it really it's just the power cord. And in fact, yes, number seven is the power cord. Now this concludes the glossy portion of the instruction manual. Those first three glossy pages are, in fact, the first three pages of the book. Now we move on into the paper portion of the instruction booklet. And, and mind you, once again, we're not going through all 87 pages. We're only going to read those that are in English. And honestly, there's only a couple of pages here. This shouldn't take too long. This is page four, if you're reading along. English. Congratulations. You are now the proud owner of a Bistro Coffee Grinder, the electric blade coffee grinder from Bodum. Read these instructions carefully before using the coffee grinder. Now, as a heading, in very large, bold letters, it says, Important Safeguards. This is followed by another paragraph in big, bold writing. When using electrical appliances, basic safety precautions should always be followed, including the following. Read all instructions. Well, that's what we're here to do, so this should work out. This Bodum coffee grinder is intended for grinding coffee beans for domestic use only. I imagine that means we shouldn't take it with us if we are visiting countries outside of our home country. Do not use to grind anything else as this would damage the appliance. So only use your Bodum Bistro coffee grinder for coffee. Before operating this appliance for the first time, read all instructions. So once again, they're reiterating that one should read the instruction booklet before attempting to operate the device. Failure to observe the instructions and safety notes may result in hazardous conditions. After unpacking the appliance, check it for damage. If in doubt, do not use it. Contact your dealer. Keep the packaging materials, cardboard, plastic bags, etc., out of reach of children. Parentheses, danger of suffocation or injury. This appliance is designed for household use only. Do not use outdoors. Do not place on or near a hot gas or electric burner or in a heated oven. Who would put a mostly plastic coffee grinder in a heated oven? Well, most of the time when there's instructions like this, it means somebody's given it a shot. The manufacturer rejects any liability for damage or injury caused by improper or unreasonable use. Do not use appliance for other than intended use. It says other than, T-H-E-N. So there's a misspelling here. I guess at Bodum they don't always proofread their instructions. Do not allow children to play with the appliance. Well, that certainly makes sense to me. 
To use the appliance, it must be plugged into a PowerPoint. I don't think they mean the software. Never use the appliance on a hot surface. And now there's a long paragraph. Never touch the appliance with damp or wet hands. Do not touch the mains sick cable or plug with wet hands. Always unplug the appliance by holding the plug, not the cord. Do not let cord hang over edge of table or counter or touch hot surfaces. Do not operate any appliance with a damaged cord or plug or after the appliance malfunctions or has been damaged in any manner. Return appliance to the nearest authorized service facility for examination, repair, or electrical or mechanical adjustment. The use of accessory attachments not recommended or sold by the appliance manufacturer may result in fire, electric shock, or injury to persons. This all sounds very boilerplate. Ooh, and now another section for USA-Canada. So here we are, special instructions for North America. This appliance is sick has a polarized plug parentheses one blade is wider than the other to reduce the risk of electric shock this plug will fit in a polarized outlet only one way if the plug does not fit fully in the outlet reverse the plug if it still does not fit contact a qualified electrician do not modify the plug in any way I can confirm I noticed this feature when I first plugged it in in the case of a fault or malfunction occurring, switch the appliance off. Do not attempt to repair it yourself. Have repairs to the appliance carried out only by a customer service workshop that is authorized by the manufacturer. At this point I'm also noticing that some words are uh, written in the uh, UK style. Authorized, for example, has an S instead of a Z. Failure to comply with the above safety notes can compromise the safety of the appliance. Never attempt to exchange the mains cable of the appliance as special tools are required for this. To ensure continued safety of the appliance, if the supply cord is damaged, it must be replaced by the manufacturer, its service agent, or similarly qualified persons in order to avoid a hazard. Unplug from outlet when not in use, before putting on or taking off parts, and before cleaning. Avoid contacting moving parts. I imagine that may mean avoid touching the blades while they're spinning. To protect against fire, electric shock, and injury to persons, do not immerse cord, plug, and coffee grinder in water or other liquid. Check hopper for presence of foreign objects before use. I think the hopper must be that inside part where the blade is. Always disconnect the appliance from the supply if it is left unattended and before assembling, disassembling, or cleaning. This appliance shall not be used by children. 
keep the appliance and its cord out of reach of children. Appliances can be used by persons with reduced physical, sensory, or mental capabilities or lack of experience and knowledge if they have been given supervision or instruction concerning use of the appliance in a safe way and if they understand the hazards involved. Well, if you're still awake for this part of the podcast, that means that you are qualified to operate the Bodum Bistro electric coffee grinder once we are finished reading the manual. Children shall not play with the appliance. This is the second time in just two paragraphs that they've said this, although the first time they said this appliance shall not be used by children. Now they're saying children shall not play with the appliance, which I imagine, I guess, they think is not the same as using it. Very strange. Switch off the appliance and disconnect from supply before changing accessories or approaching parts that move in use. So, don't touch the blades when it's plugged in. Care shall be taken when handling the sharp cutting blades, emptying the bowl, and during cleaning. This appliance is intended to be used in household and similar applications such as... We have to go on to page 7 here. Staff kitchen areas in shops, offices, and other working environments. So it's okay to bring into the office. Farmhouses. By clients in hotels, motels, and other residential type environments. Bed and breakfast type environments. So those are the places you can use this. In an office or other working environment in a farmhouse, um, in a hotel, but only by clients of the hotel, and then also at a bed and breakfast, and in this case it's not clear whether that includes staff or clients only. Regarding the instructions for cleaning surfaces in contact with food, thanks to refer to the section, quote, cleaning. Regarding the operating times, thanks to refer to the section, quote, duration of operation. Regarding the maximum quantity of coffee beans that can be grinded, thanks to refer to the section, quote, filling the appliance. Warning in bold, misuse will cause potential injury. Now, in a very big box with very big bold black letters, save these instructions, period, for household use only, period. Okay, we're still on page seven if you're following along, and now we're going to be moving into uh, specific aspects of operation. And truly, we're not far from the conclusion. It's not a very long or detailed instruction manual. Section header, installation. Place the appliance on a stable, flat surface which is neither hot or near a heat source. The surface must be dry. Keep the appliance, 
and its main cable out of reach of children. Ensure that the voltage indicated on the rating plate of the appliance agrees with the mains voltage in your area. The manufacturer declines any liability for accidents caused by faulty or non-existing earthing of the appliance. I don't really know what that means. Let's read it again. The manufacturer declines any liability for accidents caused by faulty, so far so good, or non-existing earthing of the appliance. This one is just, I think, very lost in translation. Caused by faulty operating of the appliance? That doesn't make sense. Well, we'll just have to move on, and if you have an idea of what non-existing earthing means, it's earthing, E-A-R-T-H-I-N-G, then let me know. If the power point is unsuitable for accommodating the plug of your appliance, have the power point changed by a licensed electrician. Okay, so if you want to use your Bistro electric coffee grinder and you don't have the right plug, then you should have an electrician come to your home and replace the plug for your single, possibly infrequent use electrical appliance. Next heading. Important information. Young children should be supervised to ensure that they do not play with the appliance. If the supply cord is damaged, it must be replaced by the manufacturer, its serviced agent, or similarly qualified persons in order to avoid a hazard. Switch off the appliance and disconnect from supply before approaching parts that move in use. So we're seeing in these sections um, a reiteration of several of the things we've already been told earlier in the manual. And I suspect that part of that, and maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but it would seem to me that we see a lot of reprinting because when somebody flips through a book like this, they tend to skim and respond to different types of text and different types of formatting. So whereas I might approach this part that says important information in bold letters, someone else might have found the same information in another part that they find uh, more appeals to their sensibilities. For example, the parts that we read before this section had larger font, so it could even be as simple as your eyeglasses. Next heading. Unpacking. Your coffee grinder is ready for use. Please dispose of the packaging material with respect for the environment. Well, it came in cardboard and some, some thin plastic wrap. I don't think that the plastic wrap is very good for the environment, and I don't think it's recyclable, but the outer cardboard box certainly should be. Next heading, electricity supply. This appliance must only be connected to an AC supply with a voltage of 220 to 240, V50 to 60 hertz, 
parentheses Europe version or 120 V60 Hz US or Canada version. Minimum fuse protection of the socket outlet equals 6 amps. Next heading, setup and operation. This Bodum coffee grinder is exclusively intended for grinding coffee beans for domestic use only. I won't make the joke again about travel. Do not use to grind anything else as this would damage the appliance. Here we're repeating again. This Bodum coffee grinder is exclusively intended for grinding coffee beans for domestic use only. Do not use to grind anything else as this would damage the appliance. I am not repeating myself. This is actually two of the same paragraph in a row. So I think we've been told this now three times in the manual, and twice in a row here on page 8 under Setup and Operation. Technical modifications are strictly forbidden due to the inherent dangers, exclamation. Next heading, filling the appliance. Here comes the fun part where we get to put the coffee in. Please ensure that the mains plug is disconnected from the socket outlet when you fill the appliance with coffee beans. The coffee grinder should be used with a maximum of 60 grams coffee beans. Parentheses, 60 grams is 1x the volume of the lid. So on to page 9. Next section, duration of operation. In order to prevent the motor from overheating, never use the coffee grinder for longer than 60 seconds at a time, as doing so would increase the danger of burns due to the motor overheating. The coffee grinder is ready to use again after a 60 second break. Well, I'll say this. I don't think I needed to use it for 60 seconds myself. But if I wanted to grind beans in a batch, it's good to know that there needs to be at least a 60 second break between fills of coffee beans. Although I also think it might be difficult to finish grinding, empty the container, and have another one ready to go within one minute. But we'll see. Maybe I can time it next time. Next heading, grinding the coffee beans. Once the appliance has been filled with coffee, this is the fun part. Once the appliance has been filled with coffee beans, Put the lid on so that the tongue on the lid fits into the intended slot in the housing. The coffee grinder is ready for use when the plug is plugged into the socket. Press the on-off button and hold the lid on tight while the coffee is ground. Press the on-off button to start the operation and release the button to stop the operation. It works like the pulse on a Cuisinart or a blender. After grinding, unplug the appliance and empty the coffee grinder. I can say from experience, my first experience today, that the plastic lid is clear and you can also watch the coffee grind and that's fun. Next heading, cleaning. Unplug from outlet before cleaning. 
Always clean the appliance immediately after use. Never clean the appliance with water or immerse it in water. The metal container and blade can be cleaned with a soft, dry brush. And I actually got a soft, dry brush for this, and it works very, very well. It cleans quickly. To clean the lid, wipe it with a damp cloth. Never use chemicals, steel wool, or abrasive agents to clean. Washing up liquid can be used, but never abrasive cleaners. Next heading, storage. When the appliance is not in use, it must be switched off and unplugged. Keep the coffee grinder in a safe, dry place, out of the reach of children. Next heading, maintenance. The coffee grinder does not require maintenance, apart from the occasional functional check. And that's it. Final heading. We're almost done, folks. Defects. Immediately unplug the appliance if it is defective or if a defect is suspected. Have the appliance examined and, if necessary, repaired by the nearest authorized Bodoom dealer. I don't know of many dealers that also do repairs these days, but maybe you do. Repairs and any other servicing to the coffee grinder should only be carried out by authorized service personnel. Inadequate repair can create significant hazards to users. Bodoom cannot accept any liability for damage caused by inadequate repairs. Under these circumstances, the guarantee will be void. And then finally, we're on page 11. There are three final sections on page 11. The first section is technical specifications. I don't think I need to bore you with too much of this, but I'll give the relevant-to-me details, the U.S. information. Technical data. Normal voltage USA. 120 volts, 60 hertz. Nominal power USA. 150 watts. Grinding system, blade arm. Short operation time, max 60 seconds. Capacity, max 60 grams coffee beans. Then there is the manufacturer's guarantee for the USA and Canada, the EU, and CH. I will now read what parts of this information are relevant to the guarantee. Bodum AG Switzerland guarantees the Bistro Electric coffee grinder for a period of two years from the date of original purchase against faulty materials and malfunctions that can be traced back to defects in design or manufacturing. Repairs are carried out free of charge if all guarantee conditions are met. Refunds are not available. Guarantee Conditions the guarantee certificate must be completed by the seller at the time of purchase. You must present the guarantee certificate to obtain guarantee services. Should your Bodum product require guarantee service, please contact your Bodum retailer, a Bodum store, your country's Bodum distributor, or visit www.bodum.com. 
Bodum will not provide warranty for damage resulting from inappropriate use, improper handling, normal wear and tear, inadequate or incorrect maintenance or care, incorrect operation, or use of the appliance by unauthorized persons. Unauthorized persons meaning people who have not been supervised by someone who has read the manual or knows of the manual, such as yourselves, or by children. The manufacturer guarantee does not affect your statutory rights under applicable national laws in force, nor your right against the dealer arising from their sales-slash-purchase contract. Finally, the last box on the page, and this will be, for us, the end of the instruction manual. Environmentally acceptable disposal. There's a little picture of a garbage can with an X through it. The kind of garbage cans we have with the wheels on them. I actually like that this section exists because very often when something I have, like a piece of equipment, uh, stops working, I always wonder what the best way to get rid of it is. This marking indicates that this product should not be disposed with other household wastes throughout the EU. To prevent possible harm to the environment or human health from uncontrolled waste disposal, recycle it responsibly to promote the sustainable reuse of material resources. To return your used device, please use the return and collection systems or contact the retailer where the product was purchased. They can take this product for environmental safe recycling. Okay, so basically, take it back to where you got it. Okay then, there you go. Those are the simple instructions for a Bodum brand Bistro Electric Coffee Grinder. Designed only for home use, or use in a farmhouse, or in a hotel room. Allow me to include my first impressions of my initial use. For starters, it's a compact device, it's easy to handle and lightweight, it's not as much of a thing to wrestle with like a large blender or a Cuisinart, or even a small Cuisinart. It's easy to operate, the button on the top just presses down and is part of the lid, and it grinds pretty quickly. I will say that the pouring isn't great, getting beans into the lid I got beans all over the floor and maybe I'll get better at that but also pouring the the coffee back out uh, and into another container I found this to be a little bit frustrating and if you fill the lid with coffee beans first and then try to pour those beans into the container of the grinder it's easy to spill those beans even further because the the lid is actually larger than the inside of the grinder because it fits around it. The amount of coffee it produces is good. I imagine it might be like one use if you're using a big coffee filter, but the amount of coffee we use for our French press would get me probably two or three uses from one grind, and I like that. That means that if I'm not in a hurry, I could probably do one or two grinds and have enough for a few days or the rest of the week. My first impression of the electric plug is that it could stow better, but from reading these instructions more closely, it seems like the underneath is designed to wrap the cord a little bit, and I'm going to have to give that a shot. 
and maybe I can get back to you on that. And then finally, it is easy to clean. We got a brush, and you can buy a cheap brush uh, at your hardware store, or you just want to have soft um, bristles. And then you can just brush it out, and it only takes a few dashes. If you do it quickly, the coffee hasn't had time for the oils to get into anything, and the dust itself hasn't um, solidified in any way. And then you can clean the lid with a damp cloth. It's pretty easy to clean, but there are a couple of nooks and crannies that I think you might have to focus on on a deeper cleaning uh, when you're not in a hurry. Well, that concludes our journey into the operational basics of a Bodum Bistro Electric coffee grinder. I hope you found it deeply sleep-inducing or otherwise pleasurably informative. If you like to hear instructions read aloud or have a device that you can't remember how to set up or operate, let me know and I may be able to include your suggestion in a subsequent episode. Finally, do you use a coffee grinder? What kind do you have, and do you think it works well? What is your favorite kind of coffee to order, or to make at home? Let me know. Now for the scroll. This is the point where it's almost time for me to sign off. But before I do... I'm going to browse the internet until I'm sleepy. For this scroll, I'm going to head over to Instagram. It is generally well known that I'm something of a fan of benches. Please join me as I will describe photographs of several fine benches. If you could, help me to keep track of how many we see. The first bench is from Madrid, Spain. It is a stone bench on the steps of a very large stone building. There is also a statue of a lion, similar to those that you would see at the New York Public Library. It's a very plain bench and has no back. It could easily be mistaken for a planter, except that it has a solid top. There is some light Corinthian texture to the bottom of the bench. It's not really the star of the photo, either. The sky is dark blue with wispy white clouds, and in the background you can see several other distinguished buildings. There are also people, and further in the background you can see that there are other similar benches identical to this one. The bench itself is slightly in shadow, with the nearest corner catching just a little bit of light. It's definitely there as a waiting bench of some variety, or it could be a rest bench for folks that take a long time getting upstairs. There are about eight stairs up to the platform that this bench is on, and from the edge of the photo we can see that there are more stairs beyond. So perhaps, perhaps someone less able to climb stairs quickly or efficiently would take a rest here before completing the rest of their journey up to whatever building this is.
a comment or a label on this suggests that it is the Plaza de Oriente. I have not been there. In fact, I have not been to Madrid or Spain in general. This looks very pretty, and I think it might be a nice bench to sit on if the weather was good. This bench from Madrid, Spain, was from the account E. Garcia Benches. Our next bench is from ISU Bench. This one is actually one of several photos in a series, but I'll stick to the first photo. The first photo shows three benches that are turquoise in color. We're seeing them from slightly behind, almost side on, as the sun casts a shadow uh, behind them toward the camera. Um, and they're along a, a path, a paved uh, road next to a field that the benches are sitting just a few feet into. Further on from the benches, oh, and the field is, the field is very dry, only small patches of green, and there are some trees that don't have any leaves. It's a very kind of autumny photograph. If I had to put it in a season, I would say it's definitely fall. Otherwise, otherwise it's so, otherwise it's so focused on the benches, even though you can see all the way into the distance, it's hard to tell what else is here. It looks like on the other side of the dry field, there is another cement path and that cement path appears to be um, hedged on both sides by trimmed, thick bushes. And then beyond that, a small patch of what may be actually green grass. And then beyond that, what looks to be a river. The landscape is almost completely flat, except that just on the other side of the river, there's an embankment that goes up. But that is very tiny in the photo. The sky is mostly blue, but it's blowing out a little bit. It may be slightly hazy. It may also just be the exposure of the image. But overall, the exposure is actually quite good. This is a very uh, good photograph on its own. Next, we have a photo from Park Benches. Park underscore benches. This is Quarry Hill, Victoria, according to the tag. The comment on this photo says, I'll keep logging pictures if you keep liking them. How's that for a deal? And then there's an asterisk at the end of if you, if you keep liking them. And the asterisk leads to another line that says, I'll log them anyway. And this appears to be a cheeky joke, because in the photo, the supposed bench appears to be a crumbling log in what appears to be a sort of uh, maybe wood chip clearing or something that's 
got a non-grassy ground. It doesn't look like dirt. It's kind of dark brown. And there's sticks and twigs and things in it. And normally, you'd want to call maybe bullshit on somebody taking a picture of a log and pretending it's a bench. But there's also a wooden post off to the side of this log that suggests maybe a mile marker or a point in a trail or like a directional um, post in a trail, like when it says on one side, you know, a certain number of miles this way or that way to where you're going. And this bench does appear to be at a crossroads, like a clearing in the trees. And there are, in fact, quite a few trees behind it, trees and bushes. And the trees stretch upward towards the sky. And then the sky itself is um, just approaching dusk. So there's this deep blue in the sky. But there are also spotty clouds that are golden from the, the setting sun. And so it has um, another photo that has a very autumn feel to it. It's very dusky. All of the light in the clearing where the log is is actually quite diffuse, and in particular where the bench is. It's actually a very nice photo. Our next bench is from Walker's Benches. This one says that it's a new bench found in Hernan, Castile Hernan, and the photo credit is at Wolf's Wandelplan, or Vondelplan, Wolf's Vondelplan, perhaps? I don't see much in the hashtags to give more information, and the location is not given either. Here we have another autumny bench scene. This one outside what looks to be a old manor or mansion um, with castle-like features and a steep sloped roof. Very old, very worn brick, very aged. That's sort of further in the background. Nearer to the background is the bench in question, which appears to be a picnic bench. Um, I'll continue to describe this photo, but I should say that I generally don't think very much of picnic benches as benches, since they tend to have a very different purpose. They're usually for eating and socializing, and while you can eat and socialize on regular benches, that's not necessarily their primary or only use. In any case, this looks like it would be a nice place to have lunch at a picnic bench, if the weather was nicer. Here we see a field and a path through it, with plenty of autumn leaves on the ground. On the far left side of the image is an old stone wall that's overgrown with dried out weeds. And on the left side of frame, is a very tall tree with no leaves and many, many branches. It, it looks like a nerve ending with, with just hundreds of small, sort of almost weeping willow-like branches coming off of it that are all clearly dried out. 
And then further in the background is another small building with a similarly sloped roof. And that could be a guest house or storage shed or perhaps servants' quarters, I don't know. Maybe the gardener lives there. Or maybe it's a small chapel like in Haunting of Bly Manor. Oh, I'm sorry. I hope bringing up a horrifying television show hasn't affected your ability to fall asleep. It wasn't as horrifying as the first season. Although perhaps I should just leave it there and not bring up the subject any further. If you like hearing about horrifying horror movies and TV shows while you're going to sleep, though, let me know. Back to this image. It's an overcast day and it looks very cold. It looks like the sort of day that you would want to wear mittens, for sure. Beyond the manor-type houses, also quite a few other trees without leaves. Once again, it's definitely a very old building, because one standout feature is that there are no large windows. All of the portals on the building are very, very small, and very, very few of them. It definitely seems like the time period for the construction would be one where, um, for the sturdiness and weight of all of the building materials, it would be difficult to build a window frame um, that would support the weight of the building itself, like the walls. Let's move on now to our next bench. Do you remember how far we are on benches? How many we've seen? Okay. The next one is from Jerjerp. This is from Cerro Buena Vista. And the um, flavor text here is Quartetto. And in fact, there is a quartet of benches. These benches look to be on the edge of perhaps a playground hard surface. The flat surface is made out of bricks, and the bricks appear to have some chalk drawings on them, likely by children. So this would likely be the edge of a playground. But this image is of the four benches along the edge of it. Directly behind the benches, maybe another three or four inches, is a verdant, thick grass field, but trimmed. Trimmed grass, uh, perfectly trimmed, but very, very green. And, and thick. It looks spongy. Now behind them, there are some structures that appear to possibly be a fence. There's, you can see the vertical rectangular dimensions of the fence. So these benches I should describe, they are of the design that is a um, metal legs and metal uh, rear supports on either end, probably uh, steel or iron that has been painted blue. And they're, they're curved, the, the front legs are curved like um, the whole thing, the whole bench looks like it's sort of stepping forward. Um, and its back legs are pushed out like a, 
like a cat's legs. And then the, the, the surface of the bench itself is three long boards, and then the back is two boards. And the bench nearest the photographer has a big um, score out of it, like, a, like it's been damaged. Although the, the quality of the benches isn't so refined that the, that the look of the wood wouldn't necessarily be like an intentional found wood look, but given that it's in a playground, I imagine that it's probably not really meant to be damaged because it looks like it might be dangerous for kids. There is in the top right corner of the near bench what appears to maybe be a sticker that somebody's put on the bench. I can't read it or tell if it, that's actually what it is. Now, another thing that's interesting that um, I'm just now noticing on further inspection is that although there are four benches, what's interesting is that the they're not all the same. Uh, three of the four benches are the same as the one I just described. From the camera, they are the first, second, and fourth benches. However, the third bench is a totally different design. It has a wider bench look. The legs are thinner and spread apart, and uh, has more of an entire frame with armrests. And from this distance, it's hard to tell what the um, the seat is made out of. However, the back appears to be three wooden boards. And then from this distance and exposure of the photo, it's difficult to make out whether it's also painted the same sort of blue color that the near bench is. All of the lighting is very diffuse, but there's a contrasty feel... The overcast sky has some patches of brightness in it that gives a, a sense of contrast. Uh, however, if you look directly at the benches, you can see that the shadows they're casting are actually quite diffuse and um, not very defined at all. And then deeper into the distance, there are long, tall, thin lights that are perhaps lighting a, uh, a path or belong to a parking lot on the edge of the park. And then further still in the distance, and if you, if you blink, you would think that it was actually, or I would say they were actually, um, more lights for parking. But in the in the very far distance, you can actually see some construction cranes that, because of their distance, just blend in with the uh, the streetlights that are being used for what we think might be a parking lot. So from this distance to camera, they appear as though they might be the streetlights that we're seeing in the parking lot, but in fact, they are construction cranes in the distance. Overall, a very interesting photo. Our next photo comes from Beautiful World of Benches. This one is on the desaturated side and has a bit of a pronounced uh, vignette to it. 
this one of the ones we've looked at so far has the most Instagrammy look to it. The description is also in German, and I'm afraid I'm both not good with German, nor will I go about trying to mangle it for you while you're trying to fall asleep. But it is German, and there are quite a few hashtags which indicate as such. But on with the photo. So the photo is taken at such an angle that the background moves off to a vanishing point towards the top left corner of the frame. And the leading lines of it are defined primarily by a very old brick wall that has many different colored bricks just from age. Uh, the bricks along the bottom of the wall are actually quite mossy. And in front of the wall is some mulchy, dirty ground with uh, small weeds growing out of it. And uh, it's very wet looking. Another very autumn photo. And uh, before that are two benches, and they're on a sort of flat cobblestone surface, which looks like it probably had to be kind of carved out of the, the dirt, which is on a little bit of an incline from the wall. Everywhere is leaves and twigs and things. Now, the benches themselves um, are uh, th three wood panel seats and three wood panel backs. The color of the benches is very faded red and it's difficult to tell whether that's the desaturation in the photo or whether the or whether the benches themselves are actually quite uh, worn from age and they and they do look very old they also look very sturdy the legs are made from metal uh, once again and they have this sort of bowed out um almost bone-looking quality, like as if, if as if like leg bones were holding up these benches, but they're they're metal, and the feet um, reach a square foot uh, at the end of these sort of bones, and those form the the legs and frame on either end of the wood benches. There's no uh, supports in the center and they are uh, bolted into the metal. And then the benches themselves, very worn with age. There's two of them. They're very worn with age, and they have uh, small amounts of graffiti that appear to be from, uh, not, maybe not carved in, but uh, drawn on with some kind of permanent marker or maybe metal paint. They might be painted on there a paint pen perhaps and then we can see beyond that that there are some trees there's some like saplings growing up around the the benches but as it's winter time there are no leaves and then towards the background there are some trees that are poking up over the edge of the stone wall and some of the weeds in the distance also have uh, some green to them Our next bench is from Bench Graham. The location beneath the user is not in English, and it appears to be Japanese. There's kanji, but I can see the, the katakana in there too. 
and this one is an exercise bench. It's been named by the author of the photo, abs bench, parentheses, abdominal bench. And then there are a few hashtags, some in Japanese, some in English. This is definitely an exercise bench in a park. And you can see that it's an urban park. The bench is on what looks like a fine gravel slash cement area. The bench itself is very clean, and it has only two legs, one on either end, so it's secure to the ground through, it's been installed in the ground. And then the bench itself has a wooden color, but it is clearly made from another material. Um, from what I can tell, this material is metal. There is some very, very light wear on the metal around the seams of the bench, that suggests that it's been painted. But it looks very clean. And then at the far end, there is a sort of C-loop with a bar running uh, perpendicular to the length of the bench so that uh, somebody uh, sitting on the bench can tuck their feet in. If you know what I'm talking about, a exercise bench in the wild so where you can do sit-ups, basically. Now, in the background, there is what looks like something that would be ordinarily a grassy area with a tree in it before getting to the city street, but the grass is all dried out. And there is a very low fence that appears to be separating the edge of the park from the street. Beyond this, we can see the street itself, and it's a commercial district. What we see beyond is a two-story white building, or perhaps more stories. It's very difficult to tell. And it's also difficult to tell what form of retail this business is. There is a poster on one side of it that has colors that remind me of pizza, but I don't think it's pizza. And things might remind me of pizza because I've been making it every week lately. In the far distance, I can also see what appears to be a sign for a parking lot, that sort of telltale P, even though this is Japan, it looks very much as though there's a parking lot in the distance. We can also see some telephone poles at the intersection. It looks as though there's an intersection, so the, the parking lot looks like it's further down the street away from us. And there may be another building beyond that parking lot. And in between the near building and the far building is a telephone pole. But also where that telephone pole is, is a very, very, very thin sliver of sky that we can see. Because you can see that the telltale blue, the sort of baby blue of the sky. Now this that I'm describing is actually one photo in a series, and it's the second photo in the series. I didn't realize I had scrolled over before looking at this. The, uh, the first photo is uh, shows that what we couldn't see before with the C-loop in the bench is that there is actually a spot where your feet go that 
isn't on the faux wood surface. It's a little like foot plate that's made out of uh, another material, perhaps with, with, with tread on it. And then beyond that, beyond the bench itself, which we've already described, we can in fact see that this is at a park and that there may be some kind of additional exercise equipment or maybe something playground-like in the background, but it's out of focus and hard to tell. And then the third photo is actually a photo of the instructions on how to use the bench. And it's like the instructions you've seen at any park and anywhere in the world four panels showing how to use the bench with recommendations of probably uh, cardiovascular exercise and also a series of warnings. All of this is in Japanese, except at the very, very top in tiny print, it says street athletics. Street athletics indeed. Next bench. This one comes from Bench Shares Benches. It is a photo from New Road, Brighton. Flavor text is actually quite long, but I'll read it here. New Road in Brighton is oft cited as a success in urban design and placemaking. With surface treatment and generous hashtag benches, was turned into a more pedestrian and people-friendly place. Though a successful street in itself, it requires a more cohesive approach across the city to be truly idyllic. Shared services do reduce traffic, and it can really come alive in summer. Quote, antisocial behavior, end quote, can be seen as an issue here as the benches invite, quote, undesirables, end quote, but that is merely a symptom of wider problems not solved. By one street. I see it as a success that people feel welcome to reside here. Parentheses, in warmer times. Indeed, the photo is of a winter scene. We are at the far end of a pedestrian street, and we are right up against a long wooden bench that runs the entire length of the street up against a park or some trees on the left side. The trees are mostly without leaves. And the bench has a light dusting of snow. Not very much. I would say it's perhaps melted, but it's interesting. There isn't very much snow anywhere else in the frame. So maybe the bench is just extra cold. Uh, the bench is made, uh, it's a bit bowed, it almost looks like a couch. It's made out of very, very thin slats of wood, and many, many of them, and they go all the way from the curving up from the bottom all the way to curving back over the top. Um, and there's maybe 20 or 30, with intermittent rivets that appear to be maybe cosmetic. They don't appear to be completely, or at least at first glance, they don't appear to be uh, structural, although most of the time they are when it comes to benches. Now these line a pedestrian uh, street, and the street is made mostly of 
gray stone bricks, um, a leading line coming out just from the edge of the right center of frame is a uh, grate for drainage that runs the same length and, and vanishes at just about the same point as the bench does far in the distance at the end of the street. Nearer to us on the right side of the frame are two what look like Ottoman benches. They don't have backs and it looks as though if you were able to slouch in the main bench on the left side and put your feet up you could reach the Ottoman but you would probably need to be in the area of about 20 feet tall to make that distance but to the eye it looks like they are companion benches now off the right side of frame are some buildings of presumably Brighton and they're quite pretty they have uh, they're about four stories tall with a, a porch on the on the next story up and it's difficult to tell they look as though they might be restaurants and then deeper into the distance is the end of the street and I can see that there is a watches of Switzerland store all the way down there oh and looking a little bit more closely at the far end of the pedestrian street there does appear to be a service vehicle perhaps like a garbage truck of some kind, but it's got signs on it. It's very difficult to tell what it is. Oh, and last thing I, I just noticed is that uh, on the left side of the frame, about mid-height, which is where the, uh, the top edge of the bench is, we, there's actually just a little pigeon sitting there on the back of the bench, looking off into the woods behind the bench. And the woods must be a narrow sort of park area on the other side of this pedestrian street because if you sort of squint through the branches, you can see that there are more buildings beyond it, sort of like a central park effect. Also at the very end of the pedestrian path is what may be an information center or information kiosk of some variety with a little pyramidal uh, tent top on it. It's an overcast day and also cold looking in this photo as well. Lots of these uh, photos have been very cold looking. Although these photos are from all over the world, most places in the northern hemisphere are experiencing winter at this time. I sense that we're nearing the end here. Have you been keeping track of how many benches we've looked at so far? I think we'll do a couple more. Oh, okay, this one will be fun. This one is from My Little Bench. This is an especially odd and interesting account. Anyway, this account is all photographs from one bench that is, I believe, at a bus stop. And the person clearly lives in a second or third story apartment with a view of this bench. And what they do is just take pictures of it all the time and post those pictures. So if we do this again in another episode, there will most definitely be more descriptions of this bench 
Fortunately for today, that's a bit of a tease because the image itself is very zoomed in and only shows the edge of the bench, the very far left side. And the bench itself is uh, old and kind of worn. There is only one wood plank along the back side, and two wood planks make up the seat. So it is a kind of lighter weight transit bench. The boards appear to be painted wood, and the wood is chipping and getting old for sure. And it has graffiti on it, uh, painted on perhaps like a paint pen like the other one we saw earlier. And the seat has a rectangle on it that looks like it might be a sticker that somebody put there. Very urban bench for sure. Now behind it, we can see rectangles of the sidewalk. And the star of the image is a somewhat blurry from motion, big black furry dog on a leash with a bright blue eye and a pink tongue coming out of its mouth. And it looks like it might be maybe... It's either walking very quickly or perhaps struggling a little bit against the leash. It's got this one bright blue eye, and that blue eye is staring right back at the photographer. Now, we can't see the owner because it's so zoomed in on just the dog, but we can see also bright shafts of light that finish the photo and give it some contrast. Oh, I almost forgot. There is a caption, and it simply says... Who's gonna eat who? Ha, huh. that's funny. I'm also now realizing that, once again, I have scrolled accidentally to the second photo in a series. And it turns out that the first photo gives better context to the caption, Who's gonna eat who? In the original photo, which is wider, and I won't spend as much time describing it. There is a woman sitting on the bench in a red parka with earbuds in, and she is holding to her chest a tiny little white pug in a matching red parka. And I guess that's the, the who's gonna eat who joke. It's very nice. And now one more bench. This one from Bench Japan. Well, this is maybe the third Japanese bench. The written location is Bakery Kochopan. The description is entirely in Japanese and I cannot translate. It's been far too long since I learned at all how to read or write the language. But let's look at the photo, which I can describe. This is an urban location with a very large mountain in the distance. I don't know what mountain it is, because I don't know where this is a photograph from. And I don't think it would be Mount Fuji, because it doesn't look quite so big. The bench is in the lower left corner of the photo, and it is a uh, nature log-themed bench. It is simple construction. It is a log that has been cut in half to make the seating area, and then the two legs are actually halves of tree stump, 
So it's a three-piece, and it is uh, super rustic. It is not painted um, or even very clearly finished. It's got quite a lot of wear and tear on it, and it's sitting in a patch of dirt in a uh, sort of rain gutter. You can see the grates to the right of it, and it's just off of a pedestrian walkway that's made of a sort of hexagonal uh, cobblestones with a bit of flourish on them. And it's sitting uh, just off of the sidewalk in the gutter. And the sidewalk has a series of planters that maybe are obscuring the bench from passers-by, which makes you wonder, is the owner of the business that this is in front of ashamed of the bench? And they could be. The walkway behind the bench is tiled, and you can see that there's a business here, and there's a couple of bicycles that have been parked in front of the business. And um, then further down the road, you can see the street, and it looks like the neighboring business might be a lunch stand. There's a sandwich board that looks like it has food on it. Um, and then across the street, I can't tell. It's a very industrial-looking building. It looks like the backside of um, what might be an apartment building or an office building. Um, there's some garage entrances and things, but it's very undecorated. And then far off in the distance, like I said, we see the mountain, and the mountain has some blue sky and some clouds around it that make it look very pretty. But the day itself looks kind of dreary, and that might be where the photographer is standing, because you can see that there is sunlight hitting the street beyond, and some of it is diffusely working its way into this pedestrian, maybe alleyway, um, and light is bouncing off of windows above and creating shapes on the cobblestones. But there isn't uh, direct sunlight. That may be about all there is to say about this particular image. It's not especially striking. It's a very mundane photograph of a very mundane spot, and it doesn't seem like the sort of place that a bench would be placed for the pleasure of viewing a vista or relaxing in a location. The bench itself doesn't have a back on it, so you probably wouldn't be comfortable for very long. Instead, it's probably most useful for a shopper waiting for their friend to come out of a store. But I'll say this. I actually very much like mundane benches and photos of mundane benches. It's very easy to appreciate when a bench has been placed in a location of remarkable beauty or contemplation. But a bench that's in a mundane spot, it has to do a lot of its own heavy lifting because there's nothing else special there. And for that reason, I find them charming. And I like to take photos of those myself. Okay. Well, that was a very good number of benches for one sitting. Were you able to keep count of how many benches we talked about? The answer is ten.
It's a convenient number, I suppose, and I might change it up in the future. But this seemed like a good place to stop, if any. Thank you for joining me for this scroll. Did you like hearing about benches? What do you like to scroll before going to bed at night? Well, that's where we'll leave it for this episode. It's time for me to get some shut-eye myself. I hope you're not hearing this and have been inadequately rambled to rest. I will now leave you with these words. Tie. Flap. Tin. Brief. Seashore. Charming. Delightful. Savory. Use. Warlike. Juice. And scientific. Thank you again. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'll see you in bed. <laughs>